Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Unprecedented, the new podcast hosted by me, journalist Angelica Malin. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented support. And through this twice-weekly mini-series, I'll be chatting to the leading lights in a variety of fields about how not just to survive COVID-19, but thrive. Whether it's getting a grip on your anxiety, navigating a change in your work situation, or managing your money, this podcast will provide the insights and expertise needed to help you through these strange and challenging times. Kimberly Wilson is a chartered psychologist, author and visiting lecturer working in private practice in central London. She's a governor of the Tavistock and Portman NHS Mental Health Trust and formerly led therapy service at Europe's largest women's prison. She's also the author of How to Build a Healthy Brain, which was published in March 2020 by Yellow Kite Books. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. First off, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm okay, actually. Um, I've actually been really, really busy. So in a sense, that's been fine. It's kind of kept me focused on those sorts of things. And it will just, um, it'll just, I'll see how I feel when I'm a little bit less busy in a few weeks time. It's good. I think work is a good distraction. I know I keep seeing a lot of these memes going around being like, your worth is not measured in your productivity and stuff like that. And I do understand it. But for me, if I'm not productive, I'm in a worse place mental health wise. And I find work is a good coping mechanism just to have something to busy myself with, have some, I guess, a sense of purpose as well. Yeah. And I think work helps us to organize our day it kind of gives us a sense of structure um and helps us to organize our thoughts and where we're supposed to be so work for a lot of people can actually help them you know stay connected to a sense of normality and and that's important as well yeah absolutely on days when I'm just you know in a duvet burrito watching Netflix all day long I don't don't think I feel better for it as much as it feels good at the time I always feel like it's a little bit dirty afterwards and I'm like oof, I don't know if that was actually serving me um so I'd like to start by asking um about mental health and brain health. Um, mm. Obviously, you've written a book on, on brain health and you're an expert in it. What is the difference between our mental health and our brain health? Of course, there's an overlap between the two. Um, but I think traditionally we think about mental health and we think about it in the kind of abstract. We think about moods and uh, thoughts, uh, you know, whether those are negative thoughts or rumination or dark moods and depression and things like that. But we tend to think about them as independent of the organ that they actually arise from, which of course is the brain. And so essentially, you, c- you couldn't think about, say, your 
cardiac risk factors without thinking about the health of your heart. So you can't really think about mental health without thinking about the health of your brain. And so that's thinking about the structure of the brain. So if moods and mental health are about the functions of the brain, then brain health is about the structure of it. How, what is the actual fabric and the working bits and pieces of the brain and how do we help look after it so that your mood and mental health can be better and improved? And how much control do we have over that structure and the health of our brains? Can we actually change our brain health? Um, we've actually got quite a lot of control over it. Um, and, and this is kind of one, of one of the things I really want people to understand, because unlike physical health, people tend to think that their mental health, their brain health is completely out of their hands. You know, that it's, you know, just cross your fingers, hope for the best, you'll be all right. Um, or if you're not all right, there's nothing you can do about it. It was all kind of in the stars. And that's just simply not true. And even from the point of conception, you know, the reason, for example, that pregnant women are recommended folic acid is because it helps to lay down proper structure of the brain um, in the developing baby. And, and the same thing continues throughout your life. So in childhood, there's a, a huge demand for particular nutrients, especially essential fats, and that continues throughout life. And largely because the brain is what's considered, uh, what's called plastic, which is that it can remold and reshape throughout your entire life in response to the environment and your experiences and your nutrition. And how much do we know about depression and anxiety and their relation to brain health? Is our depression and anxiety conditions that we're born with, or is that something that develops in the course of our life, depending on, I suppose, how we treat our brain? Um, it's a combination. So with all mental health conditions, we think about a biopsychosocial model. So there's a biological aspect, there's a sociological or environmental aspect, um, and there's a psychological component, which is thinking about your early experiences, attitudes that you were exposed to, thinking styles that you were exposed to, the models that you saw uh, before you in your family, in your parents, in your culture, in your environment, from your faith, for example. And all of those combine to give us a sense of our risk factors. So, you know, there is a thought to be at least a genetic component to things like depression but your genes aren't the you know the full story they're not the the be all and end all and that your risk actually depends on whether the environment triggers or kind of switches on your risk factors so we know for example and we don't often have the opportunity to say this about interventions but we know that exercise prevents depression it can reduce your incident risk of depression and just 60 minutes of movement per week can reduce depression incident by 17%. So that that's quite a significant reduction when we think about kind of global prevalence of something like depression, which is now one of our leading causes of disability worldwide. So, you know, we have a tremendous amount of control, but because people aren't told that, we aren't really given that information about mental health being um kind of amenable to change in the same way that we are physical health, people tend not to know that there are things that they can do. No, you know, exercise isn't going to, it's not the silver bullet, it's, going, it's not magic that's going to take away all risk, but it probably can help. And the same with nutrition and sleep and other lifestyle factors. Because I feel like the narrative around mental health and mental illness is, is not so much around preventative measures. For, from my experience, People only seem to talk about it in the context of, I feel depressed or I feel anxious. What can I do now? Mm. And less about 
I suppose, staving off that happening? And what can you do to stop that happening in the first place? I, I feel like I know so much about how to treat anxiety, but I only, but I didn't really know what to do before I felt anxious, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Then do you think that's the case? I think that's absolutely the case, that we only in mental health do you wait until something goes wrong? You know, in every other aspect of health, you know, we think about, you know, teaching children to eat their greens because it's just going to be help prevent them, you know, having deficiencies. And um, we tell people to quit smoking because it will reduce their risk of lung cancer. But we don't tell people that there are things that they can do to reduce their risk of mental health concerns. And it just, it makes me kind of angry because, Mental health conditions are our leading causes of death and disability in the UK. Outside, dementia is the leading cause of death in the UK. Depression is one of the leading causes of disability around the world. Yet there isn't an organised health campaign around the brain to tell people, actually, here are the five or six things that you do have some control over in order to, to reduce your risk. And, you know, I want to be careful because... Partly it's the stigma around mental health that prevents these messages from getting out because people tend to think about mental health conditions as almost moral failings. You know, you haven't been strong enough. You haven't been able or capable enough. And that's not the case. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying, what I'm saying, is that we need to think about brain health in the same way that we think about other aspects of physical health. And there's absolutely no reason, no medical reason, no scientific reason that we can't apply the principle of prevention to mental health conditions in the same way that we do other physiological conditions. Absolutely. So let's dive in. What are some of those things that we can do preventatively? We, we've spoken about exercise. What are some of the other things that people at home can, can do to try and you know stave off these conditions? Sure. So one of the big ones, and it can be a bit tricky because there are things that interfere with it that are outside of your control, but where it is in your control, we're absolutely wanting people to prioritise the quality of their sleep. Um, And we've had a lot of discussions about sleep over the last few years with Matthew Walker's book, and that's been fantastic. Um, And hopefully we've moved away from this idea that it's kind of, you know, macho and productive to limit your sleep in order to do more work. It's not big. It's not clever. You're hurting your brain. (laughs) Go to bed. Um, So if possible, all of those helpful things, you know, not too much caffeine close to bedtime, not too much nicotine close to bedtime, because both of those things will stimulate and, and keep your brain alert when you don't want to be doing that. Making sure you're getting plenty of early morning light, because that's going to anchor your circadian rhythm and help your body to have a good uh, healthy sleep wake cycle um making sure that you are well exercise as well helps to improve sleep quality so all of these things kind of loop in and protect each other and we think quite strongly that sleep conditions sleep problems are related to increased risk of things like alzheimer's disease because during deep sleep your brain essentially goes through a cleanse. Um, And so if you're limiting your access, the amount of deep sleep that you're getting, you're limiting your your brain's ability to refresh in that way. So sleep would be um, up there alongside exercise as something really important. And something that people are coming around to, thankfully, is is the importance of nutrition in protecting your brain health. Um, And I think the, the two 
big ones that I want people to really be thinking about are your B vitamins. Um, so B12, B6, B9, um, because they are really crucial for just the structure and function of your brain. A meta-analysis was just released. So a meta-analysis is when they pull together all the um, good quality research and look for global trends. And when you do that, we can feel more confident of the quality of the um, the conclusions. And a new meta-analysis, a new meta-analysis was just released that said that B vitamins can help improve cognitive function in non-demented people. So people who don't have dementia, people who don't have mild cognitive impairment, um, if they take B vitamin supplements, do improve their cognitive function, their processing speed, their decision-making, um, those sorts of things. So B vitamins, crucially important, and omega-3 fatty acids, so, so important to the structure and function of the brain. And, and the worrying thing being that basically no one is getting enough because no one's eating the recommended amount of oily fish in their diet. So um, those would be the two key ones, along with leafy green vegetables. Um, and again, they're a really good source of a range of nutrients, but also particularly B vitamins as well. Oh, amazing. I have so many questions. Okay. So firstly, B vitamins with, just very excited. Um, B vitamins, is that supplement form or foods? So you said supplements are good. Is that in place of trying to get them in your food or can we just not get enough through our food? So I would always say food first where possible. And so things that are rich in B vitamins are, you know, again, leafy greens, things like Marmite, um, are a good source of B vitamins. Oh my God, I eat so much Marmite. <laughs> well, there was actually a really interesting study. I have that, a whole um, Marmite drawer. <laughs> um, I actually do. Marmite when Marmite. I put this podcast out, I'm going to share the photo. <laughs> um, it, Marmite was associated with reduced incidence of anxiety and they think it's because um, it has such a, a high level of B vitamins. Um, full disclosure though, that I do take a supplement and that's simply because... Um, I think this stuff is so important that I take it as an insurance policy. And with B vitamins, at least, because they're water soluble, um, if you take a, you know, if your body has too much of it, you'll just excrete it in your urine. So, it, it, you know, you can't um, take on too much. Um, so food first where possible, but supplement probably as an insurance policy for some people. What's the recommended amount of omega-3 fatty acids that you're meant to have every day? Um. So the recommended amount, I don't, I'm not sure if there is a proper daily amount. Um, and certainly all the researchers that I've spoken to, because I'm doing a special podcast series on the impact of uh, essentially omega-3 deficiencies on brain health, on things like in children, behavioral problems, ADHD, um, impulsivity, but also um, in violence and aggression in, in adults. Um, and all of those researchers say around a gram a day is what's needed. So um, that would probably be coming in uh, supplement form if you're not eating, you know, maybe two or three portions of oily fish a week. So um, again, I do top up um, with a supplement as well as eating um, a fair amount of fish. Yeah, especially at the moment, you might not be able to get access to, to fish regularly or um, it might be, you know, not a bad idea to take a supplement. Mm -hmm. And then on exercise, you said that um, 
exercise was, was great for brain health. Is there any specific exercise? Because I think this is something that I sometimes find quite confusing. Mm-hmm. As a journalist, I'm always sent different stories and stats about what kind of exercise we should be doing. You know, should it be HIIT? Should it be yoga? Should it be mm-hmm. cardio? And I'd love to hear whether you think it actually makes a difference, basically, to our brain health, the kind of exercise, or is it just any exercise? Well, it's actually that different types of exercise have different important functions for the brain. Um, So aerobic exercise, broadly, so when we're thinking about exercise and brain health, there are a few different features. One is turning on of a compound called BDNF, which is brain derived neurotrophic factor, which is essentially a growth factor. It helps the brain to build new brain cells and it helps the survival of the ones you already have. Um, And exercise across the board helps turn this on. Um, But different types of exercise do different things as well. So aerobic exercise really in the same way that it protects your heart by helping to keep your blood vessels nice and flexible and helping to improve your improve your blood pressure because your brain has so many tiny blood vessels it does the same thing for your brain so it helps to keep those blood vessels in your brain which are of course need to keep your brain nourished with oxygen and nutrients and energy um, helps to keep them flexible and we want that because when those brain cells are inflexible or when they become blocked that's when we get things like strokes um, and um, vascular dementia which is a dementia associated with unhealthy blood vessels in the brain so aerobic exercise for kind of blood vessels um, but your resistance or weight-bearing exercise is uh, really important it really switches on that BDNF so um, the same compounds that help you build muscles BDNF and IGF-1 also do the same thing for your brain cells so there's you know it's really about both and we know with older women trials showing resistance training show that they have older women who do weight bearing um, you know resistance training lifting weights or body weight exercises have less essential damage in their brain than women older women who don't um so that's really important but also things like yoga are really good as well um and yoga partly because it Im- improves your the your strength and flexibility and that's important as you get older having flexibility and good balance is uh, important for avoiding things like fractures and falls but also um because of the breathing um practices that are often associated with yoga you get a uh, reduction in stress as well and we know that stress is really bad for the brain so exercise across the board and it's really about helping people to do a combination of exercise that they enjoy to get the full range of benefits amazing ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And what about hormone health? How much do our hormones affect our brain health, especially during lockdown? Anecdotally, I've had a lot of my friends saying that they've experienced kind of like longer symptoms of POMS or they felt that their hormones were like out of whack and that was affecting how they felt felt mentally. Um, is that something that you've heard as well? And what can we do for the interaction between our hormones and our brains? So I would I'm going to split this question into two. So um, in terms of hormones, I don't know a huge amount, so, you know, a full disclosure. But what we do know, for example, in particular for women, is that estrogen is neuroprotective. Um, And so that's the reason that we think that women, because women have a twice-fold risk of Alzheimer's disease to men. So two out of every three Alzheimer's disease patients is a woman. Um, And we think that risk comes because after the menopause, women lose that protective effect of estrogen on the brain, Um, which also raises the question of of risks of anything else that a woman does during her life that affects her estrogen. Um, So that's where hormones might play quite an important role in brain protection, particularly for women. But this thing about um, periods, I think possibly isn't hormones. It's probably more about magnesium. Um, Because what we know is that when you're stressed and lockdown is quite stressful, coronavirus is very stressful and anxiety provoking. When you're stressed, you have a higher um, kind of use of and dumping of magnesium. Um, And what's important about magnesium, so magnesium plays a role in lots of different enzyme reactions in the body, but it's also required for muscle relaxation, smooth muscle relaxation. So when your muscle tenses, in order to relax again, it needs magnesium. So if you've been particularly stressed and you've used up all of your, your magnesium, you've dumped all of your magnesium, and then you start your period, then when you get a cramp, you have less available magnesium to release that cramp. So you're likely to have more painful periods during periods of stress. So I would probably err on the side that it's more likely to be magnesium. And, and people might want to try during periods of stress, you know, you know, and speaking to your, your GP or your health professional, but maybe trying a magnesium supplement to see if that helps. Yeah, fantastic. I think magnesium is great across the board. I always just take it. I feel like it can't hurt. <laughs> and it's good. It's good for muscles. Um, and what about serotonin? Um, is there anything we can do to increase the amount of serotonin in our brains? Um, well, I'm not sure we'd want to increase the amount of serotonin in our brains. Too much serotonin is actually neurotoxic. Um, so we probably wouldn't want to do okay, that. Good to know. <laughs> um, I've just done a series of posts on my Instagram about this because I had a few people ask questions because I was doing a, I will be doing a nutrition for the brain um, Q&A. So people were sending in their questions and I got a lot of questions about how can I boost serotonin in my brain. So I've actually done three videos about actually it's not about serotonin and it's probably not about tryptophan, which is the precursor to serotonin, which you can get more of by you know eating certain foods. But it's really about what the body does with tryptophan under certain physiological conditions. And so it's probably more about how you manage your stress 
in terms of making sure that you have sufficient tryptophan in order to make serotonin than it is about making sure that you're eating enough tryptophan containing foods to make additional serotonin. Does that make sense? Um, possibly not. Go watch the videos. <laughs> okay, good. I will, I'll, I'll leave them in the in the um, box list so people can find it. So I've now got a couple of questions from Twitter. Thank you so much. That was so useful. Um, I've got some questions from Twitter. I was inundated, so I've, I've left some extra time to okay. answer some of these questions. So um, first off was from Sophie Eliza Price, who asks, do you have any recommendations for specific foods for productivity and or positivity in the context of COVID-19? So we've already talked about um, oily fish and leafy greens. Mm. Anything else? Um, Not really. You know, I I think we need to be quite careful about saying, you know, certain foods will make you more productive. And I guess as a psychologist, I'd be thinking, why do you want to be more productive? What's getting in the way of your productivity? And probably what's getting in the way of your productivity is perhaps poor sleep if you're stressed um, and you're not sleeping very well. Um, In which case, please focus on your sleep. Or, you know, anxiety, because sometimes anxiety can take your attention away. And maybe you're focusing on on the news and news updates and things like that. So I first question about what's taking away your productivity and and can you focus your attention on on fixing those things first? Um, And then also, you know, just I mean, there are some trials that show, for example, that certain doses of high polyphenol dark chocolate or 200 grams of blueberries can improve your processing speeds. But again, it's about how sustainable that is. You know, are you going to be chugging, you know, blueberries, kilos of them a day in order to be productive? Um, So I think if you're just focusing on getting a nutrient dense uh, intake of food alongside foods, of course, that you enjoy, you know, it's not about being um, ascetic about it like enjoy your foods but make sure you are also eating those nutrient dense foods in enjoyable ways as well taking care of your sleep taking care of your exercise that's going to be the kind of all-round way of making sure that your brain is in the best condition for you to get the best out of it so the next question is from carol who asks what's your view on the helpfulness of supplements for adhd placebo helpful neutral or detrimental a lot of adjectives there yes um well the evidence would suggest that um high ish doses of, of omega-3 fatty acids somewhere around one to three grams per day um would is associated with reduction in severity of symptoms of adhd um can I can I suggest that I'm, I'm doing literally a special podcast series on that so um if you listen to my series crime and nourishment I speak to those researchers so you can hear it straight from the horse's mouth um and kind of make up your own decision I'll also be linking to the evidence so you can read the papers yourself so um that's what the evidence says to the best of my knowledge at the moment perfect there you go Carol <laughs> Fab. Um, question from Camilla, who asks, how does an overloaded brain with homeschooling, work and life physically cope during this time? So, um, yeah, so similar to the, the, the magnesium situation, that when you're under a lot of stress, you have increased utilisation of certain micronutrients, the B vitamins, uh, magnesium and zinc. Um, and interestingly, there's a researcher out in New Zealand called Julia Rutledge, and she found that following... Um, natural disasters. So following an earthquake and then also following the mosque shootings out in New Zealand, people who took a broad spectrum micronutrient micronutrient supplement, so vitamins and minerals, actually had reduced risk of PTSD. So that kind of tells us that there is this greater utilization of these micronutrients and why it's important to be ensuring that you're eating a nutrient dense 
diet, you know, looking after your diet during periods of stress, not letting it go to the wayside if you can. And perhaps if you are struggling to eat well for whatever reason, perhaps thinking about, uh, you know, a broad spectrum vitamin mineral supplement and of course, alongside those omega threes. I don't know if you're allowed to answer this, but are there any particular brands of these supplements that you really like? Um, I always just kind of say the best one that people can afford um, because I know that um, budgets vary. I, With magnesium, you just need to be careful not to use magnesium oxide just because it's not very um, bioavailable. So magnesium comes in lots of different forms, magnesium citrate and fumarate and um, I think glutarate as well. So not oxide. Um, and again, with vitamin D, not vitamin D2. I think basically all the supplement companies have switched to make sure it's all D3 now and it should be D3. Um, if you're taking a fish oil supplement, you'll want to make sure that it's high in EPA and DHA. Um, one that just says we've got lots of ALA isn't really in the form that your brain needs. So it's more about looking at the formulations um, and, of course, asking in the health food store, um, you know, particularly the independent health food stores tend to be quite well um, trained in knowing what the best quality vitamin supplements in your price range will be. The next question is from Laura, who asks, is it important for people to, is it important for people to psychologically step away from their workspace at the end of the day in the absence of a commute, especially for those in small flats where the workspace and relaxation space are the same? How can they do this? So it's slightly different, but I think mm. that it is important because I think our stress is also quite linked to our physical space and how we try Absolutely. and relax in it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I suggest um, finding a, a, a ritual to do if you, because essentially almost your commute becomes a ritual. You know, you pack up your desk, or whatever, and you get on the train and it's somewhere in between that process of sitting down and opening the paper or opening a book or turning on a podcast. You're giving your mind the cue that the workday is over and the relaxation time has started. So you need to find a ritual that you can do at home that does that. So it might be, you know, changing out of your work clothes and into your pajamas or, you know, out of your day pajamas and into your night pajamas. Um, or it might be, um, I don't know, making, you know, if you've been drinking coffee in the morning, then you switch to tea in the afternoon and that's at the end of the workday or whatever. And that's your sign that you're not working anymore so find a ritual a small thing that you can do that just takes a couple of minutes that is a a trigger to tell your brain work day is over now and now it's time to relax I find for me it's quite helpful to take my fresh air of the day at that point mm -hmm. as, yeah. you know, just to take a little a walk at that point and then I feel like when I come back in I'm trying to be in a different state of mind I suppose yeah that change of scene is also a change of mental state no absolutely and then the final question was from Felicity. We've kind of touched on it, but yeah. um, she asked, can preventative measures or actions help people who have dementia or Alzheimer's in the family or is the future written in genetics? It absolutely. When it, so when it comes to Alzheimer's disease, it absolutely is not written in genetics. We do know that there are genetic risk factors, particularly an allele called A. POE3. Um, and that increases your, your risk if you are a carrier. But we think that that genetic risk factor only accounts for less than 5% of all cases of Alzheimer's disease around the world, um, which means that the rest of the cases are what's called sporadic and associated with, you know, general bad luck and or lifestyle factors. But a global Lancet review a couple of years ago, 2017, said that if people took on the best 
lifestyle risk factors, you know, preventative measures, we could reduce global incidence of Alzheimer's disease by 30%. So that's one in three cases of Alzheimer's disease could be prevented through changes in our lifestyles. Um, so I think that's really important for people to know the earlier you start those lifestyle factors, the better, um, because changes in the brain that lead to Alzheimer's start two to three decades before you start seeing symptoms. So they start in your 20s and 30s before you start seeing your symptoms in your you know, late 50s and 60s. And that's essentially what I've written my entire book about, which is about what these factors are and how you can introduce them into your life in very easy three minute doses per day to help build a healthy brain lifestyle to give you the best chance of holding on to your brain health for the long term fantastic well it's a, I think it's a really positive message and it's great to know that we're in control of these things I suppose you've got a little bit of influence and it's really important for people to know that yeah Amazing. The final thing I wanted to ask, which isn't, mm. um, it's not on my notes and it's not a question from Twitter, but I want to ask about loneliness because I think mm. that that seems to be, for me, the thing that I think people are finding the most challenging during this lockdown period is feeling isolated, feeling mm. like they're sitting with their anxious thoughts and perhaps don't have support or community around us. Um, it's not really a question on brain health. It's just what do you think we can do about feeling lonely and how important is it to feel connected? Um, it's so important to feel connected. Loneliness is actually um, a risk factor for dementia because it's stressful. So the stress of being separated um, creates um, risk factors for the brain. Um, and so we should be. And one of the things I think about lockdown is, is that it's made people realise how much they rely on almost those little incidental uh, moments of contact you know the person at the coffee shop who knows your order um the person that you see on your commute that who pay, perhaps you don't even talk to but you recognize and you see them and it's like someone else in the world who knows um you know i exist and that i'm here and it's a, a marker of normality um and so what we should be doing now and hopefully that will take forward with us outside of lockdown is really investing in our relationships. So, you know, making more of an effort perhaps to turn those work friendships into outside of work friendships, um, making regular time to FaceTime your parents or your friends in Australia, you know, making sure that, you know, we're not just hustling, we're not just trying to be productive, that we're not just trying to accumulate all those outside signals of success, but we're really investing in our relationships, because those are the things that give life meaning and purpose. Absolutely. And I think those little incidental moments of connection are now you realise how important they are. And you know, the most exciting part of my day is either when my postman comes or when I go to my local newsagent. And that is like, you know, I really I try and have a proper chat with him because, I mean, I live alone. It's my, my source of, uh, you know, communication oh. for the day. And I think it's so important. Absolutely. Quite embarrassed by how many times I've gone to get multi-bar buttons. But... <laughs> Maybe we'll keep some behind the counter for you now. The shame. <laughs> Maybe. Amazing. Kimberly, thank you so much for your time. If people would like to find out more about you and follow you online, where should they go? Um, so they can go to my website, which is kimberlywilson.co, um, or I spent probably far too much time on Instagram where I am at food and spike. So um, find me there. Perfect. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate and review the podcast so more people can find it. You can also follow me on social media at Jelly Malin on all platforms. There's two new episodes out every week, so subscribe now so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes.
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365 day returns.